Take your Bibles, if you will, please. Turn with me to James chapter number one. This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of triumph in spite of trials. Triumph in spite of trials. One of my favorite hymn songs that has blessed my heart for many years is Victory in Jesus. Now, this morning, um, I'm going to read that hymn song to you, the lyrics of it. Uh, I'm not going to sing it. That certainly wouldn't be a blessing to anyone, but I do want to read it to you for um, this song has been such a great blessing to me, and I hope it will be for you as well. Listen to what it says. It says, I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning, then I repented of my sins and won the victory. I love that. Verse 2 says, I heard about his healing and his cleansing power revealing. How he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story, and some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I don't know about you, but Today, I'm so very thankful for the victory that I have in Jesus. From the month of January of this year all the way through the month of March, I preached to you a series of sermons entitled Claiming Canaan. And we used the book of Joshua in doing that because I believe the book of Joshua to be an Old Testament example of the New Testament victory that we have in Christ. See, I want you to understand something this morning. If you are a believer, if you've been blood-bought, if you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, repented of your sins and turned toward Christ, the Bible says you have victory in Jesus. The Bible promises it uh, in Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 37. It says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now a conqueror is a victor. A conqueror is someone who has victory over an opposing force. And so the Bible promises in Romans 8.37 that we have victory in Jesus. But now listen, the Bible also tells us that victory has been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 57 says it like this. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I want you to understand and know it's through the finished work of Jesus that we have the victory that has been promised to all who believe. And so God's word has promised us we have victory, a word that cannot and will not fail because it's perfect and holy and righteous and just in every way. It came straight from God. It, listen, we know the Bible to be uh, inspired by the precious Holy Spirit. God breathed and written down by men. And so the promise God gave, he's going to keep. And the promise that he gave us was purchased by the blood of his son. So I want you to understand and know this morning that we have victory in Jesus, even in the midst of the trials that we face. And right now, this morning, I understand and know that many of us, many of you out there are facing all kinds of different trials, physical trials. Some people are facing this morning. I'm so very thankful that the coronavirus that was expected to take so many lives in this country did not take near as many as was expected. We praise Jesus for that. Regardless of what uh, Governor Cuomo said in, in, New, in New York, I want to go on record and say praise Jesus that we did not have as many deaths as what was expected through this pandemic. He kind of made the statement, well he didn't kind of, he did make the statement this week that it wasn't because of God that 
that more people didn't lose their lives, but was because of the actions of men. Let me tell you something. It is God who is in complete control of the heaven and the earth. He has the power to give life and he has the power to take life. And so I want you to know this morning, I praise Jesus for the fact that we didn't have as many deaths as what was expected through uh, this pandemic. But you, you may not be suffering from the coronavirus, but you may be suffering some other physical trials where it seems as though your body's kind of given up on you in some ways and you're not able to do what you used to do or what you want to do or what you feel called to do. And so there's so many people listening to it this, this morning that are going through great physical trials. Some people are going through great emotional trials. I think that is happening probably more than anything else in the time that we live in right now. People are fearful and people are worried and people are going through great times of doubt, depression, discouragement. And I'll just be honest with you, if this message is for nobody else, it's for me this morning. For this week, I've just felt, I felt all week just a spirit of heaviness on me, a, a spirit of discouragement I, that, that I can't seem to shake for some reason. But folks, I want you to know, it's even in the midst of trials that we see God's power at work in our life and we claim God's promises so that we might overcome whatever trial we face. So uh, we're going through physical trials. We go through emotional trials. How many of you know there's some people this morning that may be listening to us that's going through some financial trials. I saw the numbers last week where 16 million Americans are out of work and don't know if they're going to have their job when all of this is over. People's 401ks and people's savings are uh, being depleted because of the stock market that's, that's so low right now. And man, I understand all of these are real legitimate trials that people are facing. I, I mean, they, we're going through some tough times right now. And, and so... Um, these financial trials that I'm speaking about, whether it come from job loss or, or just loss of savings or loss in the stock market, whatever it was, they can lead to a lot of other trials uh, that, that we face. And uh, sometimes I think those can be some of the hardest times that we go through. We're also going through relational trials. We go through that from time to time. I'm talking about problems in a marriage or problems in your family with people that you love dearly. And there's nothing at all that hurts any more than when you go through problems with people that you love with all your heart. And so we all face different kinds of trials day by day. And I feel as though um, right now we're all facing trials to some degree or another. So what I want to do this morning, I want to show you through the Word of God what it means that we have victory, we have triumph in spite of the trials that we face and why that's true for the believers. So let's look together, James chapter number one, and I'm going to read for you just four verses there. I'll pray for you, then we'll come back and look at this. Listen to what the Bible tells us. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad greeting. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. Then he says, verse number three, or excuse me, verse number four, but let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're so thankful that you are still in control. I'm thankful you are still on the throne. I'm thankful that you are still able by your power to do what needs to be done in our lives to help us triumph over whatever trial that we face. And Lord, I'm asking you this morning that you show us plainly from your word why trials take place in our life, why we must go through them, and how we overcome them by your power. Show us exactly what you want us to see. Lord, this is not about me. I don't want it to be about me. I don't want to preach this morning in my power. I must Preach in your power if it's going to be effective. So, Lord, I'm asking you to move me out of the way and for you to use me for your honor and for your glory as you speak this truth to the people that are listening. We know it's no accident that anybody is listening to this message. We know it's because of your sovereign will that you are causing people to hear your truth. So whenever this word goes out, I'm praying that it goes out to accomplish exactly what 
your purpose is in the hearts and lives of the hearer. Lord, encourage where encouragement is needed. Convict where conviction is needed. And I'm asking you right now in Jesus' name that you do the work necessary by your power to change hearts and to change lives. And for these things, we're going to praise you. Amen. I want you to see who James is writing to. James chapter 1 verse 1 says that he's writing to uh, those that are scattered abroad. And he uses some figurative language here. He's not really talking about uh, the literal 12 tribes. He's using this uh, to um, uh, explain the New Testament saints that were now scattered all over the known world because of great persecution, because of great trial. And so just like the Old Testament saints, the 12 tribes of Israel and Judah were, were scattered abroad throughout the nations, he says now the New Testament saints, because of persecution, uh, have been scattered as well. So he's talking to those that are scattered throughout the world. And I want you to know something. Listen to me. That means he's talking to me and he's talking to you. The saints of God all over the world, and we too are scattered. See, folks, the truth is, how I many you know this world is not our home? We're just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And so if you're here this morning and you are a child of God, you must understand you too are scattered throughout this world. You're passing through this place. This world is not your home. We are pilgrims on our way to a country, to a city, not made by the hands of men, the Bible says. And so the Bible that we are reading this morning in James chapter number one in verse number one says that it's speaking to us. It's speaking to the children of God all over the world. See, the, the truth is this. The Bible is God's letter to you. And I'm praying this morning that you'll read your mail. I mean, if God took time to write a letter to you, to write truth to you that will change your life. I'm talking about the God who spoke the worlds into existence. I'm talking about the same God who causes the sun to rise, the God who uh, breathed the stars into the night sky. That God wrote a letter to you because he's got a message for you. It's important that we take time to read it. And so he says to all of these children of God scattered throughout the world to us today. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when. Now I want you to get a hold of that word. He says, when ye fall into diverse temptations or diverse trials. The word there can is really interchanged throughout James chapter number one. But here in James chapter one and verse number two, the word temptation is actually translated trial. And so he's talking about the trials that we face as children of God. The first point that I want to make to you this morning is the reality of trials in our life. See, the Bible says here that it's when, not if, we're going to go through trials. When? It's going to happen. It's not a question. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us over and over and over and over again that we are going to face trying times. This should not be a surprise to us because Jesus himself told us it would happen 2,000 years ago. He told us in several places, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But now, first of all, I want to say something to you about the reality of trials. Conversion does not make you immune from trials. See, what a lot of people think today is if I get saved, then my trying times are over. If I get saved, that means I'm never going to go through any trouble, trial, or tribulation. If I get saved, then no people's going to come against me. I'll find no persecution in my life. I will never again have to go through any peril if I have been saved. Let me tell you something. Just because you've been converted, just because you've been born again, that certainly does not mean that trials stop in your life. You are not immune from trials, and I'm not either as a believer. 
I want you to understand the Bible tells us time upon time that we are going to face some stuff. We're going to face some trials in our lives that we can't fix. We're going to go through times in our lives where it seems as though life has snuck up behind us, jerked the rug out from under our feet, and we fell flat on our face. Now, where does it say that? Well, Jesus says it in several places. Luke chapter number 14. I want you to turn over there with me, if you will, please. And look with me this morning, Luke 14, starting... In verse number 25, Jesus is speaking to some perspective um, disciples, some people who are thinking about following him. Now, let me tell you what I love about Jesus. He never sugarcoats the truth, ever. He tells you up front what you're about to get into. He's not hiding nothing. He's not trying to sell you a bill of goods that, that, that you don't want. Listen, he's giving you truth up front about what it really means to be a follower of Christ. And I think we've lost a lot of this in the modern church today about what it means to truly be a disciple of Christ. Look what it says, Luke 14, verse 25. And there went out great multitudes with him, and he turned, and he said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father, and his mother, and his wife, and his children, and his brethren, and his sisters, and yea, his own life. He cannot be my disciple. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that if you'd come to me, if you're going to follow me, you've got to hate your mother, and your father, and your brother, and your sister, the people that you hold dear to you. Now, now let's, let's, let's dive deep into this. Is Jesus actually telling us that we're supposed to hate our mother and our father? Is he actually telling us we're supposed to hate our children? Of course not. Listen, that would be in contradiction to the rest of God's word. And we know Jesus being the son of God and God the son would never contradict the word of God. See, the Bible says that we are to honor our father and our mother. The Bible says that we are to raise our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord because we love them. The Bible says as husbands we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. So Jesus is not actually saying we are to hate them. But let me tell you what I believe he is saying. I believe he is saying we are to love him so much that at times it might appear we hate everybody else. Our love for Christ or to be so far and above our love for everything else as disciples, it ought to appear like maybe we hate other things in our lives. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Then he says, verse 27, And whosoever do not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, we've missed a lot of this in modern times. I want you to know that the cross is not an ornament, a piece of jewelry to be hung around the neck. The cross is an instrument of death. What's he saying? If you're really going to follow me, you're going to have to do some dying. You're going to have to die to yourself. Lord willing, I cannot wait for Wednesday night Bible study because we're going to talk about what that means to die to yourself. We're going to talk about what it means that we die to the old man so that we might walk in the newness of life. And Jesus said, if we're really going to be a follower of Christ, we've got to take up our cross. We've got to take up that instrument of death. Those people in that day would have full well known what Jesus was saying. I think if the first um, believers of, of, of the first church in that first century church, if they would have saw what's going on today with us walking around with a cross around our neck, I think they would have thought that to be kind of, I'm not saying you shouldn't wear your cross. By all means, wear your cross. But realize it's more than just an ornament or a piece of jewelry. That cross is to symbolize an instrument of death. See, that would be kind of like us taking an electric chair, a little bit of electric chair, and hanging it around our neck. What, what Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to pick up your cross and follow me. Then he says something. I love it. Verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have the sufficient money to finish it? See, what he's saying is before you say you're going to be my follower, you're going to follow me, you've got to count the cost. You've got to realize it's going to cost you some stuff. It, it, you need to realize if you're going to be a follower of Christ, 
You're going to have some times in your life when you're going to be persecuted by a lost and dying world. I can promise you, if you start being the light that Jesus has called you to be, has saved you to be, you are going to confront darkness. That's what light does. If you are going to be salt, I can promise you, you are going to irritate a lost and dying world. Your very life as a believer, as you follow Jesus, will become a direct contradiction to the life they are living. And they're going to come against you because of it. Jesus made that plain in John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15 and verse number 18. The Bible says that the world hates you. Jesus speaking to his disciples. You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You. What's Jesus saying? Because you follow me, because you stand for what I stand for, listen, the same world that hated me will hate you. And then he tells them, the same world that persecutes me will persecute you. Look at this. John chapter 18, verse number 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So what Jesus is telling them, as a believer, as a follower, as someone who's been converted, you're going to go through times of persecution. And many times the trials that we face are persecutions that we face day by day. No doubt about it. Let me say something else. Jesus promised there would be persecutions, but he also promised there'd be tribulations. John chapter 16, verse number 33, one of my favorite verses. Jesus says, in this world you shall have tribulation. Not you might have tribulation, or maybe you're going to have tribulation. Again, it's not if, but when. He said, you shall have tribulation. There's going to be times when you face great trial in your life, great tribulations in your life. According to John 16, 33, the very words of Jesus. So you need to understand just because you've been converted, conversion does not make you immune to trials. Now, let me tell you what else a lot of people believe. A lot of people think, well, if you're saved and you're still having problems with trials and tribulations and trouble in your life, that just probably means you don't have enough faith. I've heard that over and over and over again. Let me, let me say this to you. Conversion does not make you immune from trials, but let me say this. Consecration does not make you immune from trials either. See, if it's true that you go through troubles and trials and tribulation in your life because you don't have enough faith. If that's true, that means the Apostle Paul didn't have enough faith. Because the truth is, his brother went through all kinds of trials. I mean, some tough stuff. The Apostle Paul, in my opinion, did more for the cause of Christ than anybody else since or before. I believe the Apostle Paul um, is, he's certainly one of my heroes of the faith. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament, went on three missionary journeys, started churches all over the known world. It's because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul that we have heard the gospel today. I'm telling you, this brother did great things for the kingdom. And to say that he didn't have enough faith would be absolutely ridiculous. See, he went through all kinds of trials and troubles. Let, let's, let's go in and look at what he says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, he gives a list of all the stuff he's went through because he was a faithful man of God. It's not because he, he, he didn't have enough faith it's because he had a whole lot of faith and was being faithful. See, when I say faithful, I'm talking about faith in action. I'm talking about you actually believing God's telling the truth and then acting upon it. 
Paul was faithful to what Jesus had called him to do, which was to be uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he was going everywhere, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, it cost him a lot. And he went through great tribulation, great times of trial and great trouble in doing so. Listen to what the Bible tells us. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 24. The Jews five times received our 40 stripes, save one. Five times he was whipped 40 times, or excuse me, 39 times. Verse 25. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I, I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. He says... I was stoned and shipwrecked. Now, if you go back and look in the book of Acts when Paul was at Lystra and Iconium, that's when he was stoned. And I believe while he was there, when he was stoned, I think they actually killed him and God raised him up. Now, you don't have to believe that if you don't want to believe that. That's okay. But I just want you to understand this brother went through great times of trouble, great times of trial, stonings, shipwrecks, stripes. What else does he say? He goes on and says in verse 25, or excuse me, verse 26. In journeyings, often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Verse 27. In weariness and painfulness and watchings and often in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. Look what he says in verse 28. You pastor friends that are watching this today, you're going to understand what he's saying here. Verse 28 says, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches Paul said I understand I had responsibility to care for all the churches and listen there was a great weight upon this brother there was a great heaviness upon him because of what was going on in the body of Christ and so what he's saying is I went through terrible tribulation terrible trials all kinds of trouble not because he was unfaithful, but because he was faithful. And because he went through the trial and overcome the trials, that showed his faith was real. And it does the same for us, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. See, if the truth is that if you're a believer and you're still going through troubles and trials. It just means you don't have enough faith. Then that means Daniel didn't have enough faith. Go back and read in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, the Bible says, was head and shoulders above everyone else who served in the kingdom. Daniel was considered a prince in Babylon. He was taken captive there, and God raised him up there to be a leader. It's amazing. And the Bible says nobody could find any fault in this man. And so the only way they could really come at him, the ones who were wanting to come at him and tear him down, was if they did it according to the laws of his God because they knew Daniel was a faithful man. And so they made a law and they said nobody could pray to any God nor man for 30 days. They, they could only uh, bring their... Uh, their, their uh, their request to the king. They couldn't pray to any other God or any other man except the king for 30 days. But Daniel was a faithful man of God and a faithful man of prayer. Because he believed God and he acted like God was telling the truth, he daily, continually stayed faithful in prayer. The Bible says with the windows of his house open. That way anybody who wanted to see could still see he was going to stand for the Lord. This man didn't lack faith. He had plenty of faith. regardless of what anybody else said. And what happened? Those who were trying to come against him and tear him down went to the king and said, Daniel's still praying. We see him every day praying with his windows open. And the king threw him in a den of lions. That's a great trial. Wouldn't you agree? And God brought him through that trial by his power. Now listen to me, child of God. Conversion does not make you immune from trials. Consecration does not make you immune from trials. Nor does it me. We're all going to go through trying times. 
just the way it is. It's a reality. My first point in James chapter 1 is the reality of trials. Then I want you to see not only the reality of trials, but the reason for trials. The reason for trials. Look at verse number 2. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now James says something that blows me away. He says, count it joy. Be joyous because you're going through a time of trial. That must mean trials um, have a purpose. They have a reason. God's doing something in the midst of a trial that, um, that he wants to do in your life. And so James says, count it all joy when you start going through some of this stuff because God's working in ways like you don't even understand, like you don't even realize. There's two things that I want you to see about trials. There's two forms of trials that, that I think we need to take note of. First of all, um, James says that the, the, he uses the word diverse. That means various kinds, all kinds of different stuff that come into my life and come into your life. Now listen to me, folks. My trial is not your trial, and your trial is not my trial, but we all have trials. We all face stuff. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12, Peter says it like this, and I, I love this verse, man. It, it, it really helps me. And I hope it'll be a help to you. Uh, the Bible tells us, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 12, Beloved, he's talking to the church there, to the believer. He says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. And he goes on and tells us, But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And so Peter says, don't think it's some kind of strange thing that you're going through a trial. Now let me say something else. Don't think that you're the only one that's going through the trial you're going through. Don't think you're the only one that faces these troubles, trials, and tribulations because you're certainly not. You need to understand that we all, from time to time, go through stuff, each and every one of us. Let me tell you what I think we do, and what, really what I know we do as believers. We come to the church, and we get in here together, and we put up a false front, and we act like we never go through anything. We never have any troubles. We never have any struggles. We've got it all figured out because we don't want anybody else thinking less of us. When the truth is, the Bible says if we have faults, we ought to confess it to one another so that we could pray about it and have victory over these things. Now listen to me. There's a song that I love by Casting Crowns that makes this point better than I ever could. He says, is there anyone that fails? Is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today that's feeling so small? Because when I take a look around, everybody seems so strong. Have you ever been there? You come to church and you look around at everybody else. And man, it seems like everybody else has got it all figured out. They've got it figured out in their marriage. They've got it figured out in their family. They've got it figured out at their job. Everything seems to be hunky-dory and hallelujah for everybody else except me. Have you ever been in that place? I have. I think we all have from time to time. Listen to what this song tells us. It says, everybody seems so strong. I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong. So I tuck it all away like everything's okay. If I make them all believe it, maybe I'll believe it too. So with a painted grin, I play the part again so everyone will see me the way that I see them. Are we happy plastic people under shiny plastic steeples with walls around our weakness and smiles to hide our pain? The name of this song is Stained Glass Masquerade. And what he's saying is, we put up this false front on Sunday to cover up the stuff that we struggle with every other day of the week. Let me tell you something. The church is full of messed up people. The church is full of crooked people being straightened out by the word of God. The church is full of sinners simply saved by God's grace. We're all still growing and learning and trying to overcome the troubles, trials, tribulations that we face day by day. So don't think you are alone. 
Don't think you don't belong in the church. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, let me say something to you. All of you are welcome in this church. All of you are welcome to be a part of us. Let me tell you why. Because we're all still growing in this. None of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. It's not that we're not striving. It's not that we don't want to please God, but we understand and realize we all still dealing with stuff. He goes on to say, but if the invitation's open to every heart that has been broken, maybe then we close the curtain on our stained glass masquerade. I I love that. I want you to know that trials come to, to, to all of us. And the reason for it, I believe, is twofold. Number one, sometimes God sends or allows testing of our faith. Now, now let me ask you something. Why would God do that? Is it for God's benefit? I mean, does God need to know what I'm going to do? No, it's not for God's benefit. Let me tell you why I know that. Because my Bible says that God is omniscient. What does that mean? That means he's all-knowing. He has all knowledge of everything. King David said it like this. God knows the words I'm going to speak before I speak them, the thoughts I'm going to think before I think them. He knows when I get up and when I sit down. He said he knows everything about me, and this knowledge is too great for me to understand. Really what David says is that this is blowing my mind just how big, just how powerful, just how all-knowing my God is. God does not need to give us tests so that he might find out what we'll do. The test is not for his benefit. The test is for our benefit. My wife is a teacher, and she's a good one. One of the best ones that I've ever uh, ever saw teach, and she does such a, a great job loving kids and teaching kids. That's her gift, and she's, she, she does it well. She was talking to me um, a few months ago about a test she gave at the school. Uh, she was teaching the, the kids and, and gave a test. She came home a little bit discouraged. She said, man, this didn't do well on this test today. She said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them another test tomorrow because they've got to learn this stuff. And I told them today that they need to go home and study. We're going to come back tomorrow and retake this test because I need to see where they are. If they not or not don't have a firm foundation with what they have today, it's going to cost them tomorrow. And I said, praise God. See, they's preaching in that. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe God works with us the same way. I believe God allows testing to come into our life for our benefit so that we might learn some stuff that will impact our life today and help us tomorrow. Not only impact our life today and help us tomorrow, but then we can help others tomorrow by the testing and trial that we went through. Amen? Do you see this? And so God allows testing in our life so that we might see where we are. What we need to improve upon. The other type of testing that sometimes comes our way is temptation sent by the devil. Now, we know James chapter 1 and verse number 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now listen to me. God does allow and sometimes I believe he sends testing into our life to strengthen our faith. God never sends temptation. That's not the work of God our Father. That's the work of the devil himself. See, the testing of our faith is to strengthen us. The temptation of our faith is to stumble us. The testing is allowed or sent by God. The temptation comes from the devil. But now this is the amazing thing. God is so sovereign and God is so in control, he can use both to accomplish his purpose. He can even use the temptations that we go through to teach us some stuff. Amen? And he certainly does do that. But testing comes, um, the reason for it um, is, is, uh, is, I believe, to make us more like Jesus. Amen? Look, look what the Bible says. James chapter 1, verse number 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. All right? What is patience? Patience is us learning to wait. Anybody else uh, a a terrible waiter? 
I'm a terrible waiter. I'm a right now kind of guy. I get my oil changed at Jiffy Lube. I eat Jiffy Pop popcorn. I eat from fast food restaurants in the drive-thru. Let me tell you why. Because I hate to wait. I hate to wait. How about you? But we must learn to wait upon the Lord. If we don't learn to wait upon the Lord, one of two things are going to happen. Either we're going to get ahead of God and start doing things God's not pleased with, or we can even, listen to me now, get behind on what God is doing. We've got to wait until God says go so that we might go. God might say stay and we need to stay. But whatever God says do, we've got to wait and get confirmation from Him before we do it. Can you say amen? When we learn to wait upon the Lord, the Bible says patience then has her perfect work, verse 4, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What is the reason? For the trying of our faith, why should we count it all joy when we are tried, when we come to the place where we can't fix the stuff, when we come to the place where we can't get out of the situation, when we come to the place of trouble, trial, and tribulation, and we don't know which end is up, and it feels like we've fallen flat on our face, and we don't know what we're going to do. In those times, we must wait on the Lord because we can't do it. And Paul said it was in those times in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he found out the grace of God was sufficient for him. Paul said, I had a thorn in the, thresh, uh, in the flesh and I, pray, I prayed three times that God would remove it, but God never removed that thorn. Paul says he left the thorn to show me how big, how amazing, how powerful his grace really is in my life. And he found out that even with the thorn, God's grace was enough. He come to find out that when he was weakest, that's when he was strongest because he was relying fully upon the Lord. And it's in our times of trial, in our time of testing, that we learn what it means to lean on Jesus, to wait on Him, to truly trust in Him. Let me ask you this. In the last three or four weeks, have you prayed more than you usually do? For those of you who might have lost your job, are you praying more than you used to? For those of you who are going through physical trials, are you praying more than you used to? Emotion, those who are going through emotional trials, are you praying more than you used to? Are you seeking God more? Are you getting in your Bible more? See, that, it's a funny thing how trials do, does that. It causes us to seek the Lord. It causes us to rely upon Him, to wait upon Him. Sometimes God has to use trials to get us to that place. See, the ultimate goal is for us to become more like Jesus. And the Bible says, when patience has her perfect work, we'll be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I don't know but of one man who was ever perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That's Jesus himself. Isn't that the ultimate goal? Romans chapter 8, you can flip there if you want. If, if, if not, keep your place there in James 1. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 8, verse number 29. Watch what the Bible says. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. See, I believe it is our destiny as believers to become like Jesus. He says, it is our destiny, watch this now, to be conformed, to be made and molded. That's what confirmation is. To be made and molded into the image of his son Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so God uses these trials to make and mold us into the image of Christ. We need to see the reality of trials. We need to see the reason for trials, but we need to also see um, the future that we have because of trials. Look, look with me what the Bible tells us, verse number 5. If any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God that he giveth all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven uh, with the wind and tossed. Let no man think that when he shall receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man, double man is unstable in all his ways. I love this. What is God doing 
in the midst of our trials. He's making us more like Jesus so that, listen to me, we might be what he saved us to be and we might help others. Peter called trials fiery trials. Let me tell you why. Because it's fire that purifies. One of my favorite scriptures comes from the book of Malachi. Chapter number three. And let's just start with verse number one. He says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall become, he, he shall come, saith the Lord. He's speaking of Jesus there. Verse two. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who will, shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. The Bible says Jesus is like a refiner's fire. And he goes in verse three and says, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. That they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Do you see that? The ultimate goal for our future is the righteousness of Christ being evident in our life. How does that take place? Through the refiner's fire. I think it happens through the fiery trial that Peter was talking about. I think that's backed up by Malachi. Now what does it mean that he sits, Jesus sits as a refiner um, over his fire? See, when you have a, a silversmith that is doing what he can to, to, to mold the silver and make the silver into whatever he wants it to be. The first thing he has to do is put some heat under it. He puts a fire under it. And that silver then will melt. And as that silver melts, it'll begin, begin to boil and bubble. And as it boils and bubbles, all of the impurity will come to the top. Anything that would keep that silver from being the best that it can be, it'll, it'll bubble up. And then he takes what's called a dross. And, and he'll set over that crucible, that which the silver is in, that which is on the fire. And as that bubbles up, he'll take that dross. And it's kind of like a, a ladle. It, it, he skims off the impurities from the top. He filters out the silver with the dross. And he'll do that over and over and over again. He'll heat it, it'll bubble, the impurities will come to the top, then he'll skim off the top. And he'll heat it and it'll bubble, it'll come to the top, he'll skim it off. Over and over and over he does this. And I'm told the silversmith knows when the silver is ready to be used, when he can look over into the crucible and see his face. And when he can see his face, when he can see his reflection, as that's been purified, then he knows he can use it. Now, our future as the people of God is that God, listen to me, He wants to bring about righteousness, righteousness of Christ evident in our lives, in our daily living. And if it takes a trial, if it takes that fiery trial to bring us to the point where we can be used of God and be a blessing to others, then let me tell you something, it's all worth it. It's worth it. So hang on, child of God. Hang in there. Don't give up. Listen, we ain't going to give up. We ain't going to let up. We ain't going to shut up until the good Lord calls us up and then we'll ever be with him. Hang in there in the midst of your trial. God's doing something. We need to see the, uh, the reality of trials, the reason for trials. We need to see our future because of trials. But let me say something else. You also need to see the resource you have in the midst of trials as believers. And the resource you have is mentioned right here in James chapter number 1. James chapter 1, the Bible says, If you lack wisdom, all you've got to do is ask of the Lord, and He'll give you liberally what you need. He's got enough wisdom to go around. He's willing to give it out if you ask Him, is what He's telling us. James chapter number 1, verse number 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. See, you're in the midst of your trial this morning. You don't know which way to go, what to do, what decision to make, whether to go or stay or whatever. 
I don't know what's going on. God does. You do. Let me tell you what you need to do. Let me tell you the great resource in the midst of your, chi- of your trial, child of God. That great resource is the relationship you have with the Lord when you can go to Him with anything you have need of and He promises to hear you. He promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Trust in God. Rely upon God. In the midst of your trial, Look to Jesus, and I promise you, I promise you, he can and he will bring you through. We can and we ultimately will triumph over our trials. The Bible says, again, this world is not my home. I have the blessed hope that one day, I will be in heaven with him. Revelation 19. And I'm done. Revelation chapter 19. Let me read to you verse number one. It's such a a powerful scene here that's pictured for us in the word of God. Revelation 19 verse one, it says, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged um, that which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Verse number six. And as, it, and as it, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God omnipotent reigneth. The God who is all-powerful reigns over everything. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. We know the bride of Christ to be the church and if you're a believer you're a part of the church and the Bible says one day we will be with the Lord in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen to what the Bible tells us in verse number 9. And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb and he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And John said, I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See, thou do it not. I am the fellow servant, and thou brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of the prophecy. Listen to me, folks. We have something to look forward to as the people of God that will completely and totally outweigh anything we face in this world. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that he cannot even compare his present sufferings to the glory which shall be revealed. And we can't either. We can and we ultimately will as the people of God triumph over any trial in our life. Whether it be here or whether it be in heaven with Jesus. And for that I'm thankful. That's the hope we have in him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you again for your truth of your word. I'm asking now, Lord, today that you again by your power do the work that only you are capable of. Have your way and have your will. As your word goes out, may it accomplish what it was meant to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.